Carroll bringing it forward. Thompson's making the run. Carroll hangs on to it though. Still David Carroll. Could go all the way here. Oh, what a goal! Hello, I'm Phil Catchpole and welcome to another episode of Ringing the Blues in what has been a crazy week for football. On this week's show, we speak to the author Michael Calvin about his latest book, Whose Game Is It Anyway? Pretty good timing with this one. Plus, we have all the action and reaction from the Swansea City and Bristol City games. And we also speak to Adebayowak in Fenwa about that goal. But first, let's head to Mexico City for two results and some essential chairboy Spanish with Uri. We are ringing the blues from Mexico City and the only two results that matter this week are Swansea City 2, Wicom Wanderers 2 and Wicom Wanderers 2, Bristol City 1. What a late drama we lived at Adams Park and the commentary by my amigo Phil Catchpool was epic. Truly epic. Oh, what a penalty kick by Akin Fenwa, the beast. Oh, you make us believe in miracles. Come on, you can make it chair boys. So, for chair boys Spanish this week, Oi, Wayne Rooney, how are your nerves? So in Spanish, that will be, Hey, Wayne Rooney, how are your nerves? Nerves, nervios, how are you? Como están tus? How are your nerves? Como están tus nervios, Wayne Rooney? Okay, so hopefully we will have good news next week. See you next time back to London with my amigo Phil Catchpole at the Ringing the Blues Studios. Adios. A massive seven days for Wickham men started with a trip to South Wales to take on Swansea City at the Liberty Stadium. They were chasing automatic promotion and Wickham, well, they just need to win games. Here's what happened. Musquay forwards to Rick a little one-two. Musquay on the volley! What a goal from Admiral Musquay! And what a start to the second half for Wickham Wanderers. Igpiezu linking with Musquay. It sat up lovely for him and he swung his left foot through it. Keeper with no chance. It's Swansea nil, Wickham one. McCleary, lovely little turn up against Hurahan now, corner of the area, goes on to his right, still going. McCleary, goal! Wickham, 2 0 up now, and Gareth McCleary has started his second half like a rocket. He cut it in onto his right hand side and fired it into the bottom corner. Woodman with no chance. It's Swansea nil, Wickham Wanderers 2. Good defensive play from Grimmer. Swansea not done, and McCarthy falls on top of the ball, and it's a penalty. McCarthy had slipped and I think landed on top of the ball. He hit his arm, and the referee, Keith Stroud, immediately blew his whistle. Jamal Lowe versus David Stockdale, and scores high into the roof of the net, and it's Swansea one, wick of two. Loads of space on the right-hand side for Roberts. He crosses to the back post, and it's in, and the equaliser has come, and it's Cullen, the substitute. And Wickham have thrown away a two-goal lead here. And Swansea have pulled it back 2-2. We've just taken it to one of the favourites in the league. You know, and uh, 
we're, I'm, I'm so proud of the boys. Again, I, I cannot fault the effort. I cannot fault the some of the football we played was superb. We we had numerous chances and. Uh, Unfortunately, they've got back in it on a on a slip. Jason slipped over and hit, hit the ball with his hand. Uh, it, it's just a, a real freak accident, um, and it is a penalty. Of course, I'm not going to debate that, but I thought we could have had one first half as well. Um, they get back in, the tails are up, but even then, we had chances. We had chances to win the game. Um, we look like a team that are ready to impose ourselves on teams, you know. And, and I'm looking forward to the next game and, and the, the three after that because. The way we're playing at the moment, we're really upsetting the form guide, and uh, and I, I think it's, uh, it's a testament to show how far we've come with this bunch of boys. Really, really proud, and uh, looking forward to, to seeing what we're going to achieve now. Two, two, no, no good for either side, really. It felt like the referee should have just let this one go and say next goal wins. Yeah, it would have been nice, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm sure we'd have got that as well. But do you know what? it's uh, it's a nice place to come. Fair play to Swansea; they're a hell of a side, and uh, you know they've, they've made us feel very welcome and. and uh, and, and, and Coops is a, he's a great manager. He's gonna he's gonna achieve things with this club. The way he plays, the players he's got at his disposal, um, and above all, he's a, he's a gentleman as well. So uh, you know, um, if I had to share the points, it's not a bad one to share them with. But I think um, probably if it was a boxing match, we might just nick that one on points. What did you say at half time? Because that was a hell of a start to the second half. Yeah, there was not much to say. You know, we, we were on top first half and it was more of the same. There was a couple of little things that we said about getting in behind and playing some clever play around the edge of the box. And lo and behold, a great one-two with Ichi and, uh, and Addy. And, and what a strike that is from him, you know. And, and then Gareth McCleary does, um, you know, he, he's... he's been waiting for his chance patiently by the way he's not been uh, not been knocking on the door or anything and uh, and I thought in training he'd look very good this week with his finishing um, and he's created a fantastic goal there you know it's a, it's a great finish and I think that shows what class he can bring to this team um, I'm excited Phil I'm really excited for the future never mind whether we can stay in the championship or not if, if we do I'm sure we uh, will be a lot better than we were this season and if the worst happens I am so excited to uh, to take on League One again with a with a, the, the best squad I've ever had. So um, really pleased, really proud, and uh, you won't see me being down today. Musquay nearly nicked it at the end as well. I think mm. there weren't many here, obviously, behind closed doors, but a lot of people were off the seat with that one. Yeah, all, all my bench were here, definitely. Uh, it was uh, it was just the wrong side of the post, and uh, he'll get some. Um, Addy will learn from all his uh, all his loan here and. Uh, and I, I like him. I think he's a cracking player, and uh, seeing uh, seeing much more of him in the next four games will be uh, will be super special for Wickham. But um, gutted to the really am um, because the lads deserve more. But you got to you got to look through it all and say, point away at the Liberty Stadium against one of the league's favourites is uh, is an awesome point, and uh, and not just that, it's an awesome performance. Um, really proud, and uh, like I say, look forward to Wednesday now. Check the maths, it's still possible, so business as usual. Business as usual, yeah, absolutely. We are the um, the letter next to people next to Wickham Wanderers is not appearing yet, uh, and I'm sure people are waiting for that to come, but um, we can still get 46 points, and I think there's about five teams under 46 at the moment, so let's see what we can do. Bristol City, uh, mid table, no chance of the playoffs. Is that a, an opportunity then to maybe attack a team that possibly could be on the beach? 
Um, it's an opportunity for Bristol Rovers to play with no pressure. Bristol City, sorry. Uh, Bristol City to, uh, to play with no pressure and, and, uh, and come at us. So um, it works both ways, Phil. It's not, uh, it's not a case of saying this lot have nothing to play for, They'll, they won't be dangerous. They could be even more dangerous with no pressure and I'm sure um, they'll be getting a rollicking from the manager this week over, over uh, a defeat today. Uh, Josh Knight, that card got appealed unsuccessfully. Um, massive blow, not to have him today, but also for, for two games after this. Yeah, um, we haven't had any favours from the officials this year, if I'm being totally honest. You know, no one in particular. I thought Keith Stroud was very good today, actually, and, and um, he may have missed a penalty first half, but um, on the whole, he's, he's a very good referee. I thought he, uh, he handled the situation very well, but if I'm honest, um, I've been disappointed with some of the uh, decisions that have gone against us. Um, it... I'm always going to say it feels like it, it, it's small wicker and it, it doesn't really matter. But um, believe me, it does matter a hell of a lot. And, uh, and I think um, we're about four or five, six points shy of where we should be in, uh, with, with referees' decisions, never mind anything else. Looking forward to seeing what we can do Wednesday, like I said. That's all I can concentrate on. That. Yep. Um, and back to Josh Knight, I mean, he's had a fantastic loan spell at Wickham Wanderers and to miss three games in the, in the run into this season must be hard for him to take too. It's going to be, but I mean, it gives an opportunity for Jack Grimmer, Anthony Stewart, you know, um, JJ. Uh, I thought they were the phenomenal back three there, you know, and uh, like I said, the penalties allowed them back in, got their tails up and uh, and and that moment um, of quality that, that cross they've put in there, that's what the difference is in the championship sometimes, you know, that, that moment when you know, you get a crossing opportunity, you get it on the button. That was their second goal. They got it right on the button and it's undefendable sometimes. We've got to learn from that. We've got to improve our game on that side. But effort-wise, performance-wise and drive and coming to Swansea and, and taking this team all the way, nobody expected that. I did. Looking forward to next season though. A draw no good for either side really with Swansea failing to capitalise on Watford losing at Luton Town in their hunt for the automatic promotion place. Looks like it's going to be the playoffs for them and Wickham really could have done with the three points in their pursuit to avoid relegation. Here's what the Swansea fans had to say after the game in the opposition view part one. Fireboy. In my opinion we started the game with arrogance and no respect for Wickham we're off decent side. We let them run the game and played at half pace when we should have been more energetic. If we'd shown attacking intent at the start of the game instead of after they scored their goals, we'd have won it. Dwight York Superstar. How many points have we dropped this season due to goals conceded as a result of a Freddie Woodman mistake. We might have achieved automatic promotion with a competent keeper. Thornberry Swan. They deserved a point, to be fair. It was a crazy game. We were horrific most of the first 17 minutes, but then perked up considerably to grab a point. Jack Rabbit. 2-2 two -two is infinitely better than nil to and it's all we deserved Wickham don't look bottom of the league today could have been a lot worse Catalyst Wickham worked harder than us and that's just not on 
no promotion chasing team should be outworked. They put us under pressure and they were very physical too. Not a tactic we deal well with. Badlands. A lot of this praise for Wickham is just an excuse for how bad we were. They were decent at closing us down, but no great shakes. Our defence was poor. They scored two and they should have had a penalty in the first half. We only gained a point through sheer panic and a bit of desire from two or three players. Another John. Wickham's frailty near the end shows that they were there for the taking. If we'd been more positive earlier in the game. Looking at how the other results went today, we missed a big opportunity to close on Watford. Gary, the not-rash cougar. Fair play to the players for digging themselves out of an hole at 2-0 down. But the first half, and especially the first 15 minutes of the second half, is why you can forget any notion of promotion. Let's not beat around the bush. We made the worst side in the division look like world beaters. It was absolutely pathetic. And we could have shipped four or five in quick succession. Oh, very poor. Dr. Parnassus. It was an awful performance and a poor scoreline, but it... Hardly sums up our season. We are third after all. I've seen far worse things than losing to Wickham in my time. They've beaten Reading and Cardiff this year, and they took points off Watford and Brentford. It's the championship. It's mad. Mark Jack, London. Wickham's form right now is safely mid-table. Tenth from the last six games, 15 from the last 10. Should we have beaten them on paper with our squad? Yes. They paid for only one of their players. And despite not spending much last summer, we paid millions for some of those that were starting today. Keith Margin. Very, very disappointing. Should have been three points. Simple fact is we are not good enough especially against a team with fight in them. Wickham will feel they had done enough to win that game. Coming up later on, we've got that chat with Michael Calvin about his new book, Whose Game Is It Anyway? But first, we've got the action from the Bristol City game at Adams Park, including an interview with Adebayowak and Fenwa. Here's what happened. Jeju has it, rolls it out wide to Nodge. Nodge up against Stewart, corner of the penalty area. Holds it back. That's a great goal! First time strike by Tyreek Backison is a wonderful goal for Bristol City. We were just talking about the quality that this team has got and we've now seen it. First time, right-footed, curling effort right into the top corner. Stockdale with no chance. Wickham Wanderers nil, Bristol City 1. Back to McCarthy again, crosses charge down, but Wheeler 
Drops onto the loose ball. Lovely little reverse pass to Mametti. Great run. Cross to the back stick. Igbiezu's up and finds the back of the net. And that's fantastic from Wickham Wanderers. Wheeler and Mametti linking up brilliantly on the right-hand side. And there was another buffet ball. And it's been gobbled up by Uchi Igbiezu. It's Wickham 1, Bristol City 1. Back to Jacobson, crosses in again to the back post. Bentley comes to punch once more. Stockdale, edge of the box, five-footed shot, charged down, big shot and ball. It's a penalty. David Stockdale's oh shot is God. charged down by the hand of a Bristol City player. And Wickham Wanderers have a penalty. Referee blows his whistle. Akinfenwa right-footed and scores! And a bail Akinfenwa. Too big to play football. Never played at this level at the age of 38. Has scored his first goal in Stoppage time. It's Wickham Wanderers 2, Bristol City 1. Gareth, if I had a pound for every time I said it's never done at Wickham, I'd probably have enough to sign you with a couple of strikers. But what an end to that game. What an end to it. I can just imagine the fans down at that terrace then, uh, what they'd be like. Because uh, it was just brilliant to, to see one, Bale scoring his first championship goal. But two, David Stock there coming up for the corner, having a couple of shots, you know, and getting getting the penalty and, and just the drive and belief that the boys had right to the end there was I was so proud of them and uh, I, I always I'm proud, you know. We, we we are a real force at the moment and uh, you know our second half of the season has been brilliant, really good form. I think we're probably mid table form for second half of the season and uh, it's just um, it's just the championship. You come up as a small club, you get taught a few lessons. As long as you learn from those lessons, uh, I think I think people can see the improvement. People can see the the, the upward turn in, in in what's been happening here. And whatever happens, I'm I'm going to be really excited for the future of, of this football club. Um, but the future at the moment, Saturday against Cardiff, we can get three points there. Wow, that could that could really that could really upset a few teams. Um, looking forward to going there and seeing what we can do. But um, tonight, I'll just have a. <laughs> Have a calm down for a minute. I think it's uh, it's one of those nights which chaos was ensuing when I saw Bale pick up the ball for the penalty and Jacobson's usually the penalty taker took a knock. I thought he was had a nasty injury, but then he walked over and took the corner that ended with David Stockdale's shot getting the penalty. I mean, it was just madness. Uh, and to try and compute it all is impossible. Um, I'll probably have to watch the replays for once on that one and, and see exactly what happened. But um, two-one, brilliant for us and. Uh, you know, huge amount of respect for Nigel Pearson. First time I've really properly met him. Uh, do you know what? He's, he's, he's a good guy. One of the good guys. Um, really gave us some good compliments and uh, knows how tough it is as a manager and, and um, took a little bit of advice from him before the game. And, uh, and I'll take that with me because uh, if I can achieve what he's achieved in the game, I'll be a happy man, manager at the top level. Um, so, uh, yeah. But the boys deserve the win. Really proud of them and uh, looking forward to Saturday. Madness at the end, but a 1-0 down in the second half in, in what was essentially a win-or-bust situation. There did seem to be a calm and steely determination about Wickham Wanderers that they were going to get back into it. And that must have been pleasing for you as the manager. Yeah, and we've got that. We've got this belief. But I thought we lacked a little bit of energy. Um, and I think Saturday took it out of us a little bit, starting the same team. You know, obviously it wasn't a mistake because we've won the game, but it was... Um, it was showing in the second half, you know. I think we got a little bit leggy. Um, and it's not nice having to make early subs because you want to change and then put some energy in. But you have to, as a manager, make those decisions. And uh, as a place when the two subs combined to set each at Pizzo with a fantastic header at the back stick. Um, and then Bale comes on and, and 
what Bale does well, you know, changes games. She had a fantastic attempt with his right foot in, in about the 87th minute and then manages to put it past on the 93rd. So really proud of him. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a mental game, wasn't it? Um, I wish the fans were here to see that one. Six points from safety, nine points to play for. Rotherham lost tonight as well. Have you still got your fairy tale book from Torquay? Uh, I've still got my cowboy books as well. You never know, they might come out again at some stage. But um, <laughs> um, surely, surely, can it happen again? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, we've got to get 46 points, I know that. Um, and we're well capable of doing that. I also know that. Um, but Cardiff, Bournemouth, Middlesbrough, wow. This club has celebrated games like that, like you wouldn't believe in the past. And the, these are standard league games now, and it's, uh, it's a brilliant place to be. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, exactly what we can do against these teams now. There's some big names in the mix-up. Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham. What's, what's your message for those clubs going into the final two games? Well, do you know, it's uh, it's going to be a big team that goes down, isn't it? You know, there's, there's got to be one of them that goes down at least. We're hoping it's two. And the smallest team that's been in the championship for some days is, uh, is going to be staying up. So um, we'll give it our all. We'll do our part. Um, I've always needed favours. <laughs> uh, I'm asking again some teams to do me favours, but um, let's see what happens. Bayo, the goal came in the championship. It was never in doubt. It was just when it was going to happen. How did it feel? How did it feel? No, listen, cliche. Um, it's going to sound cliche, but it was a beautiful feeling. And then to listen, to get the three points, to keep hope alive. And listen, um, Gaff has been saying week in, week out, look, pull it all out there and see what happens um, so to be able to continue the momentum with the win this is a beautiful feeling but the greatest I don't think you lot clocked in the changing room there the boys give me a standing ovation like it, like it was my debut like I was 19 and I was laughing I was like you boys know I'm going to be 39 you know um, but that's just what this club is about um, it was a first and I ain't had a first since since I was 19 um, so it's a beautiful feeling I won't lie to you it's a beautiful feeling but it was three points as well and it was at Adams Park Good feeling, man. Penalty was given. Jacobson was on the pitch. You know, you were only, it was only going to be you. Or maybe Stockdale was going to take it. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, like, Stockdale, give me the eyes. Um, no, but um, JJ <laughs> JJ said to me a couple games ago, um, to be fair, a little while, he said, listen, B, if we get a penalty late on in a game and you want to take it, I'll be up for allowing you to take it. And I did. I asked him. I was like you good with me taking it and so I got a shout out to JJ because he is our penalty taker and it was the last minute of the game and, and he was like listen B like, I'll back you if you want to take it take it so I was like alright cool um, and then listen the rest was history I was able to pull it in the back of the net um, and then listen you saw it felt like we had fans here and that's just for me what the most humbling was was that how excited everybody had a bigger smile than me and I was trying to keep it in like I was cool and that but you know I was smiling on the inside but everybody had a bigger smile than me and I'm talking about from the kit man down to our CEO down to our press man everybody had a big ass smile and that means a lot for me do you know what I'm saying so I am humbled you nearly got one from open play. It was a great save by Dan Bentley. Did is it ever crossed your mind this season? You think I might not get this goal? Yeah, man. I ain't gonna lie, it did, man. And especially then, because I was moving like a young Messi. Um, you know what I'm saying? Why are you not laughing at me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Say nothing there. You know, it's little twinkle toes and that. No, but when he pulled it, I was thinking, oh lord. I just to me, sometimes you just got to chuckle. Um, and at that time, I was thinking, oh again um, but listen at the same time listen if it didn't come uh, 
I wouldn't allow it to besiege my career. Um, but like anything, you want to be able to say, listen, that every league I played and I was able to score. And tonight I was, I was able to do that. 38 years old, injury time, penalty winner. Football's had a bit of stick this week. You spent most of your career in the lower leagues. This is where the heartbeat is, isn't it? Come on now. Um, to be fair, the fans spoke about it anyway, about this this silly-ass Super League that they were trying to do. Um, this is where football's at, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you just got to keep it. This is, I always say, this is real football. Um, me and Pete be chatting about this constantly. This is real football. So it was a beautiful way to end the week. Oh, well, it's not ended, is it? It's Wednesday. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> six points uh, six points off safety nine points left to play for this is on isn't it come on now listen if you know Wickham yeah <laughs> we would trust me we're going to be swinging in every game and you already know our gaffer um, he exuberates energy and belief and look, that's what we're built on so listen we're going to go into Cardiff and we're going to swing and then we're going to go to Bournemouth and we're going to swing and we're going to go to Middlesbrough and we're going to swing and then come the end of it we'll see where we're at there's some big clubs down there with you. What's the message to them? Watch out. Plain and simple. <laughs> Bye, congratulations, mate. Thank Pleasure. You, Phil, blessings. Blessings, my brother. So, Bristol City succumbing to goals from Igpiezu and Akin Fenwa. Quite literally, a massive attack. Well, here's what the Robins fans had to say after the game. It's your position view, part two. Kerr Avon. Another pathetic surrender from City, who can't defend balls into the box and lack the discipline to see out games. Once Thompson spiked back's ankle on 55 minutes, our midfield lost control and the long bombardment began. Northern Red... That second half was an absolute disgrace. As soon as Wickham started to play, our lot didn't want to know. They absolutely bottled it. Pezza. Fair play, Wickham did record their first 51% possession in a game since the 11th of February 2020. I wonder if our useless bunch of... Realise that fact. Cheddar Red. To get outperformed by, sorry Wickham fans, the whipping boys of the division like that in the last 15 is, is embarrassing. They played with far more fight and energy and they've had 22 shots. It's shocking. We are a bottom three team. Make no mistake, if we don't get this right in the summer... We have a very real chance of going down next season. Copello. Nothing sums up our side better than 30 stone Akin Fenwar dancing around our entire defence only to be kept out by a great save by Bentley. We are absolutely pathetic. Globetrotter. That was so bad it was genuinely <laughs> amusing. Their keeper looked more like scoring in the last minute than Fam or Wells did all night. Artful Walker. We are the worst team in the championship. What a poor excuse for a professional squad we have. Great heart from Wickham. They played with everything Bristol City lack. 
We are an embarrassment. Gaz red. Not exactly high on quality or consistency, but I enjoyed that. Wickham present a different challenge to a usual championship fixture. CT red. Imagine if we had players that cared as much as the Wickham players do. One stream in Bristol. Sign Stockdale and get him up front. We're all set then for another nail-biting end to a Wickham Wanderers season. Just imagine a reality without promotion or relegation. It could never happen, could it? Well, the European Super League was announced on Sunday, the day before Michael Calvin's latest book came out. His book's called Whose Game Is It Anyway? So the timing was pretty unbelievable for him. It's a project he's been working on for a while, and I thought I'd catch up with him for a chat. Since we spoke, the wheels appear to have come off this European Super League. Well, I started off by asking Michael about the coincidence of his book coming out pretty much at the same time as the European Super League plans being announced. So it's better to be born lucky than talented, mate. <laughs> right, well, tell us about this game and whose game is it anyway? Because it's slightly different from your from your previous books on football. Yeah, it's, it's part memoir, part manifesto, I suppose. Um, and in many ways, it was quite appropriate that it came out at a time when the Super League was dominating headlines and generating such outrage because in many ways over the last few days, people have been feeling the the pain that I felt about a year and a half ago, really, where I'd fallen out of love with football as it was. I could see something like the Super League on the horizon. I'd grown tired of the institutionalised greed and elitism and duplicity and hypocrisy. And it took the death of my father-in-law to actually almost give me a chance to reset. Now, that sounds really strange, but um, my father-in-law, Oligos, was um, uh, he, he was a victim of COVID um, May last year, May the 7th. And um, he passed away in his care home um, from COVID after having suffered from advanced uh, vascular dementia. And like many people at the time, we couldn't obviously visit him. So we were communicating in the last days of his life via FaceTime. And on one call, a couple of days before he passed away, my wife um, was speaking to him about football. He was a massive Watford fan. And um, he... Um, suddenly had this clarity because of the dementia. It, you know, there were times when basically the veil had been drawn over his mind. But again, he was 11 years old again, and he was walking through the streets of West Watford to the game with his dad and getting his sweets at the sweet shop, the great anticipation of the game, the, the spectacle of it, the colour, the noise. And when he passed away... That well, that le- left left a huge um, uh, imp- uh, made a huge impact on me. But also, when he passed away, we found this wooden box in his shed, and it was an old toolbox, quite a big one, uh, which was his own, which had all these old tools, which were used by his by his father. And um, in the inside of the box, there were three fixture lists from Watford. In the 1932-33 season, one was, uh, well, was first team reserves and a midweek league. 
and above the midweek league fixtures now all the all the results were put were were annotated in pencil um was a very small thumbnail photograph of a young footballer now I, w- I just basically wondered who that was and researched through um you know went into the official uh, club history um found out some more about that particular time um and basically couldn't couldn't crack who this guy was and then by chance we also found a photograph of my father-in-law in a football team from uh, the 1945-46 season he was playing for the Royal Marines he was a commando during the war and I looked at him and I thought that could that is that might well be the the lad in that photograph because there were similarities. Now, it didn't add up that it was taken in 1932, because he'd only been about 10 or 11 years old then. But I wondered whether he'd had a trial for Watford later on or just before the Second World War or something like that. And But whatever it was, and the mystery still remains, I was left with a huge impression of what football is, and football is family. It's, it's identity. It's belonging. And... I thought then, and I've used that used that moment almost to focus on my own life. Um, as I say, I'm always a bit nervous about doing you know, autobiographical stuff because, you know, frankly, what we do is not that important. Um, and I find that you know, I think there's something pompous, pompous about actually sort of saying, "Oh, look, this is my life, aren't I wonderful?" You know, don't I don't like that, but. Um, put it into context of not just my life, but also the way sport has evolved, you know, what here, what heroes matter, do heroes matter? Um, you know, the people that I've followed, the, the things that I've learned on the road, you know, I've been you know, ludicrously lucky as a you know, council house kid from Watford. You know, I've, I've worked in sport and, and particularly football in about 80 odd countries. So it's given me a huge sort of, um, insight and very very fortunate insight into the way the world works so i use that lessons of my own upbringing my own career and then essentially went to look for what i considered to be the good guys the the good people who are working in what is quite regularly a bad game it's certainly become that hasn't it and i mean those good guys those stories of those good guys you know give us some hope here mike do they exist at a decent level? Is there going to be something left after all the dust has settled? Well, well, there are. I think one thing that struck me, I went to Bury, um, met a guy called James Bentley, and because um, I, I wanted to know what it felt like as a fan when your when your football club doesn't exist anymore. What do you do? And he was remarkable. We did this interview on a Saturday morning. I was going to see the new Phoenix Club in the afternoon, Bury AFC. And we're sitting on a on platform two of Bolton Street Station in Bury. The street steam trains are coming in, and it was yeah, it was a bit it was a bit interesting because you know there's a bar on the platform there, and <laughs> there were these couple opposite us, and fair play to them, they were they had and this was about eleven o'clock in the morning. They had the biggest flagons of lager I'd ever seen. <laughs> there was about, there must have been half a gallon in each, and they were they were wanging it back at 11 in the morning. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on here? But it, but when James spoke, 
I'd never heard a fan speak so eloquently and passionately about what his football club meant to him and how it was intrinsic to his life. And I'm sure, you know, fans of, of, of smaller clubs perhaps feel that more than, you know, the guys who follow the putative Super League guys or Premier League, you know, the Premier League remnants, if we want to call them that. And when we looked at it, that on that station, football football's about history. It's about family and history, and civic civic pride and belonging. So on that on that platform, literally on that platform, Bolton Street Station, his great grandfather had gone to war in 1914, came back in 1919 because he'd um, been held prisoner in Germany. Um, he indirectly, several generations down, in, introduced. James to the game. That station was also where Berry left in 1903 for the FA Cup final at Crystal Palace. They won 6 0. Uh, came back, local heroes, still talked about to this day. So there's history for you. And then he started to talk about the precise moment he heard that they'd been kicked out of the league. It was at five past 11 one night. His first game with his dad. And all this sort of this, it, it sort of, you know, it was a rebirth of all the things that I loved about the game. And so from there, I went to see the Phoenix Club, um, fan run. And again, it mattered there. People, it was it was an expression of of, of community, but also it was friendships. It was it was what I call cheers football. You know, everyone knows your name. It was it was friends. There was only 150 people there because it was socially distanced, but um, everything felt right. And and you know, the more I looked into it, and you know, the thing about being that this pandemic is that people, all of us, to a greater or lesser degree. Have have had time to self reflect. I think there's been a lot of that around, and I think people. That's why the Super League has been such a, you know, a kick in the guts for people because it's it's so venal and it's so, frankly, amateur in terms of the way it's been presented. But it's 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 empty. It's meaningless. Now, football clubs, you know, you work with Wickham Wanderers, um, Phil. It's a you know I know it from personal experience. It's a vibrant, community-driven club. That's what football can be, and really should be. So I went up from there, and, and the great parallel that I would draw, uh, or the I've done a, um, a chapter which I've called "Curse of the Quid," which I'll tell you why. But that was with Accrington Stanley. No, I love that club. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant club. It's a great institution. It looks after its community. Uh, it offers a whole range of social programs around around the club. It's helped their elderly supporters through the pandemic. Uh, it's even got its own memorial garden now in the in, in the back of the back of the new uh, back of the new car park. Um, Andy Holt, there, the owner, is I think he's brilliant because he gets it. He gets what football means to people. And now here's a guy who pretty much got into football by accident. He was he was basically basically Accrington were skint, as they usually were at the time, and he thought he'd help them out. And in the end, 
uh, realised that they were in real trouble, so we just took them over um, and wanted to run it almost in his own image as a, as a local boy, you know, local council-ass lad, who probably made, made good to a degree. You know, he, um, he's got his own sort of plastics firm um, and... Uh, when he, when he was building it up, he used to sleep in his garage on um, uh, on cardboard boxes uh, because there was a um, some sort of machine which was very temperamental and the alarm went off. So basically he had to be with it all night. Now he's built up a company now, which is worth, he's worth about 80, 90 million pounds. That sort of money gets you on an entree into a certain level of society. And he was telling me about, and this is where I came up with the phrase curse of the quid, there was a, there's a sort of private members club in London and it's where all the huge billionaire businessmen go. He's invited in and he's asked over a drink, oh, do you like art? And he said, well, yeah, you know, I've got a few paintings on the wall, it's all right. Um, you know, I, I know what I like. And this guy said to him, oh, yeah, he said, I bought a painting last week for 23 quid. And he said, well, that's not bad, 23 quid, yeah. He said, it was a Picasso. I said, well, what do you mean? It was a Picasso. Well, it's 23 million quid. <laughs> These people use quids, quid, as a shorthand for a million pounds, right? So Andy extrapolated that. He said, These are exactly the type of people who are trying to, well, who are running the, the Premier League. And obviously, now, as we now know, trying to set up a, a Super League. They're people talk about a million pounds as a quid they, they've got no conception of value of people or anything and that really really stayed with me i thought yeah you know if i i think there is now a great move i think we're at a time of resetting you know we're talking at a time where the the story of the super league is changing by the hour i do sense there was a real move now to try and be on the right side of history, players getting involved, managers getting involved. Fans are unanimous. Well, the, what the great thing about fans in this instance is that they've dropped the tribalism. They've dropped mm. the water battery. They're all together. We're in this together, chums, you know. So that gives me hope. And there, I say there are so many good people. And, and, and you see it on a, on a weekly basis, Phil. You know, you see probably the same faces every week or yeah. did when, when we have fans. <laughs> um, and also, you know, you can see in their faces what it means. To them. You can see it when, you know, when when Wickham score a goal or, you know, I see you know, Gaz come up with his latest, you know, winkle picker moment, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. So it's it's that's real. All this other stuff is not real. Is there an opportunity here, Mike? Because, you know, where High Wickham is located, you know, you could wander around High Wickham Town Centre on a normal pre-COVID sort of weekend afternoon. You'll see Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, all those clubs. You'll see those shirts, probably more than you will Wickham shirts. Is this an opportunity now for clubs to kind of extend their local community and say, look, you know, these clubs don't want you anymore. You know, come down to Adams Park, come down to wherever, come down to, you know, the Crown Ground in Accrington. Come and, come and get involved in something that's bigger than just a, a football club. Well, Phil, to in, invent a, a pretty timely phrase, support your local club. And again, as I said, one of the things I've been struck by because of the pandemic, people are, are, are searching for meaning. And I think people are looking at football in a different light. 
I've got a mate of mine who is a West Ham fan, and he was saying that, you know, look, if I take my lad to football at the Olympic Stadium, which I hate because he's a big, horrible, soulless bowl, uh, get my trains down, a few beers before Matt, before the match with my mates, have something to eat. He said, probably, I don't get much change out of 250 quid. Um, I can go down to my local non-league club, which actually in his case is Barton Rovers, and it's about eight quid, something to get in. You have a few pints with your mates. You can change ends at half-time if you want. It's a much better, much more enriching experience for him, you know, and also it saves him several hours and lots of money. So why don't you go down to Adams Park or, you know, Kenilworth Road or, you know, wherever you want to care to mention, you know, as you say, the Crown Ground or I think they call it the Wham Stadium these days. But mm. um, I I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, and I've also noticed in the last couple of days as we've been speaking, um, there's a move in Liverpool, for instance, to go and support Liverpool AFC. You know, the Liverpool fans themselves, have, you know, they've been betrayed by their owners. They say, right, well, OK, well, we'll go and watch the local team. You think of someone like Marine in Liverpool. Um, cracking little club. Cracking club. And, you know, the standard of football, obviously, is going to be, you know, not a bit, not going to be as good. And, you know, as you go down the leagues, as you know, the, the it's basically down to the decision-making skills of the players themselves. You know, they'll always have this, you know, occasional purple patch where they look like Premier League players, but, you know, they find their own level, don't they? Um, so... I th- I think there's a lot to be said for supporting your local club. Certainly, if the Super League comes off, I won't watch it. I've, I've got no interest in it, um, and I suspect I'm probably not alone. I, I you know, if I, when I first heard about it, I thought it was about a 98% certainty. I think it's in the balance now, and I hope it. I hope it fails. I really do, um, and also. They shouldn't be allowed to come back without any consequence if that happens. They should be kicked out. You know, the top six should be kicked, or the so-called top six should be kicked out without a shadow of doubt, you know. It's interesting what you're saying about the standard of football because going back to to me talking about your father-in-law and, and, you know, I think we'll all have these memories. I remember my dad taking me and my brother to Lokes Park in Wickham when I was a little kid, my first ever game. And, you know, that was in the Isthmian League, um, but that was equally as fascinating for me to watch Wickham that day than it was to see them at Wembley in July when they got promoted to the championship. The standard is neither here nor there. It's like you say, it's the stories. It was the sounds, the smells, the people. Mm. And you go every week, if you've got your favourite ticket seller for your 50-50 draw, you go there, you have a chat. It's the only place in town, I've said this before, where you can get, you know, you can get your people who are who are doing well in life, you've got their own businesses and you've got them talking to people who support the same team. You may work in a supermarket or maybe a student or where else does these do these people come together? The football's almost secondary to it, isn't it? And I think that's what the, you know, things like the ESL and, you know, going back to the Premier League back in the early 90s, I think that's what they've forgotten about, isn't it? It's, it's more than just a game. Yeah, well, they're divorced from the realities of life because of, you know, as I said, the curse of the quid. Mm. I think also there's a fundamental misunderstanding about 
what comes with being the owner of a football club. You're a custodian of the community. So this is what someone like Andy Holt is really good. He understands that. He said, look, you know, um, uh, we won. His role is to make sure there is a, a a sustainable club when he doesn't when he's not around. That's what he's committed to. So it's a generational thing in that sense. When you look at the best run clubs, they have an identity about them, and I think that's what's impressed me about some of the the, the younger Phoenix clubs, like you know Berry AFC. I've been to um, Lewis. Brilliant club, absolutely brilliant club. And I'd watch them every week. You know, the football wouldn't be brilliant, but it, I'd watch it every week because, you know, the you know, horrible word, but ambiance, you know, the, 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 it, it just feels right. And the, 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 the social contract that they've got with their supporters is brilliant. You know, equality in terms of paying the women and the men same same amount. I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's authentic. That football, you know, football, football in, in League One, League Two, I think possibly because of financial circumstance, the idea of doing a 51% model that we've seen in Germany be a very, very important protective force. I think I think that would work in, in a lot of lower league clubs. Um, and you know, you've obviously got to get the right people involved, but I, I was very impressed. I, you know, did this, uh, basically the, the the book spawned um, a documentary I did for, for BT Sport called Hours, which was looking at fan-run models. Um, it's a real shame, actually, because of we, we did it pretty quickly. And um, we'd fixed up to go to Germany to see the guys at Union Berlin, who literally sold their blood for the club. Mm. The, the club were, were in trouble and, and they sold their blood. And there was this fantastic, we had this fantastic image. The guy said, well, yeah, come and, come and watch us. We can't watch the games anymore. But what we do is we go in the, we go in the woods and we, we watch the game in the woods. We put the flares on and we have a few beers and we, and we watch the game on, on our phones and stuff like that. And it was, I thought, oh, that's going to be fantastic. And of course we couldn't get there because of COVID unfortunately, but, um, I digress. But yeah, so I suppose the thing that struck me about it was that that there is more to life than empty profit and loss. The people who are telling us that they are super league super owners, you know, they spend hundred million pounds on players like like Perez for Florentino Perez, hundred million pounds on um, Eden Hazard at twenty, was he twenty eight? Hmm. Great bit of great bit of business that chum. You know, <laughs> I, I just think um, there are, are really good people doing good things in the game. You know, I talk in the book about um, who cares for the carers. Uh, you know, two two brilliant guys. Uh, one's a guy called Tony Robinson, whose who's son Anthony plays for Fulham. Um, he was the um, coach of my uh my son's uh youth team they were a brilliant youth team they won everything uh in Milton Keynes and the eastern region for three seasons uh seven of that team went into the academy system including my son um none of them made it at least four or five probably should and it was because of the failings in the system desperately bad coaching by 
awful, awful coaches um, in an academy, uh, you know, so-called academy structure. Um, you know, lazy talent identification. It was, it was just really poor. Um, Tony now works um, with kids, disadvantaged kids, and basically the estate kids who the football clubs can't even just can't deal with them socially, you know. But he's he's got the ability, the knack of actually uh, relating to them, and and rescued a few. The other lad was a guy called Pete Lowe, who was featured in. Yeah, other of my books, he was in No Hunger in Paradise and also in the film. But he called me just a couple of days, a couple of weeks actually before pan, the pandemic, before the lockdown. And we, we met in a golf club just outside Manchester. And he said, right, I've got something to tell you. And he then taught, he told me the story of a, a young lad who was discovered in the act of trying to commit suicide uh, in the garage of the family home. And that obviously shook him and he, he was very sort of very prescient. He said, look, we're going to wake up one morning and we're reading our papers or scroll through our phone and there's going to be a young lad who's released from a Premier League academy and who's going to take his own life. And that did transpire tragically. But it was also, he talked about the pressures on himself as an individual, as a father himself, because, as he said, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a problem solver. So, basically, who looks after my problems? You know, every day he's just got grief and angst and anger and guilt thrown at him from young lads. And he was talking about, you know, the experience of, of being there when you've got a 13-year-old boy in front of you hyperventilating and, and unable to, to even speak because he's so distressed, you dealing with that, you take it home with you. And he said, look, you know, to be honest, I had a breakdown because of it. Now, good guys like that are remorselessly exploited by the system. I hate it. And, and he deserves more credit than 99.99% than of the football community. He's doing a great job, not getting enough credit for it. And that's why I hope people read the book and they see the goodness in people, because it is there. It is there. And I suppose at the end of the book, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at different models. Um, you know, the, the strange thing about the Super League is that actually there is a, there's a, there's a germ of logic in it. There's, there is an unpalatable truth that um, there probably isn't a market global market for something like this, which is as empty as it is and as corporatized as it will be uh, if it takes place. And I'm looking at different models. You know, we've already talked about the the, the Phoenix Club model, the Lewis-type model. You know, there's the... I've been to... I went to see um, Hashtag United, which is a, a club, essentially, without... It hasn't got a home. It doesn't represent a town. But it's got a huge fan base globally because of social media they've got a bigger social media presence than all but about five premier league clubs it's an amazing operation they then put me on with a with a group of guys called the sidemen who are have got a link in with lake norian um seven guys they have been um you know doing football type videos for about five or six years those football videos have got 26 billion billion Views 26 billion, 
And they've reached an audience that football can't through these videos. That's why that, why they did the Lake Norrin thing is, is so that they can do their videos at Brisbane Road rather than go in the local park where they just get mobbed. Um, guys like that, you know, that could be one form of the future. But I am convinced more than ever after, even after this week, that the future of the game lies at a local level. It won't die at local level. It'll always, there'll always be, I don't know, 4,000 people will turn up for Wickham, wherever they're playing. You know, you tell me if I'm wrong. Um, There'll always be a rump of people who care about the club. You know, and that could be, you know, 28 people who turn up at, I don't know, Bedford Town or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know. With respect to them, I don't know how many people they draw. But what I'm saying is football can be and is alive at localised level. And it's 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 alive because it matters. The stuff that these other guys are talking about does not matter at all. Well, Mike, this sounds like this book is it's come along at a perfect time because I think a lot of people have been quite depressed about about what's going on at the top end of our game. And it sounds like there's a lot of hope to be found in there. And while I've got you on, I've got to speak to you about about Wickham as well because I remember the day I met you um, was Wickham was staring almost a certain relegation in the face from the Football League, which I think possibly would have taken them out of existence and created a new Phoenix club because it would have created financial oblivion. Um, That wasn't that long ago, really, was it? That press box at Torquay. And and I speak to you now, Wickham are looking at another relegation in the face, but not quite so important, this one. No, it was a lovely lovely fairy story, wasn't it, last year? Um, And I, I loved, actually, I loved... You know, Neil Neil's book, Neil Harmon's book, I, I thought it was really good. Um and uh again, you know, the characters within Neil's books and you, you know and your podcast, they're identifiable characters. They're real people, they're not commodities. They they they're you know, they're they're professional footballers who happen to have a you know a human dimension to them, you know. Um I'm, I have to say, uh, I'm sure this won't go down terribly well, but I am I, I am surprised Gaz is still at Wickham. I, I did think he would move on. Uh, I thought he would end up at somewhere like Blackburn or something like that, but um, he's doing a great job with it. Um, to be honest, it was all it was it was pretty. You know, there were the, the, there were long odds against Wickham surviving this year. Um, They've they've actually made a fist of it quite recently, haven't they? You know, yes. they've been they've been some good wins. Um but if I think the the the, the enduring lesson is you've got good coaching, you've got empathetic management, you've got sensible stewardship in the boardroom, and you've got loyalty amongst the fan base, relegation need not be a disaster. You know, that it doesn't strike me that your board is a knee-jerk type of board. Um, you know, Gaz won't sort of flounce off into the sunset and throw his leather jacket over his shoulder, will he? I don't think. So um, I would put Wickham with some decent recruitment um, as potential, you know, they, they, they could have a good season in, in League One next season if that's what transpires. Well, yeah, it's not a done deal yet, and fairy tales do happen. Now, Gaz was in your book, Living on the Volcano. Uh, you got to spend you a bit of time. You still got the Mustang, by the way. 
Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. can't. He can't have the shoes and the jacket and not the Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> they all come as a, they all come as a, as a package. Uh, so you got you got to spend some time and get to know Gaz um, back then. Um, he's really kind of played on the underdog and the not having any resource, and he's really made that his own thing and and made it work. Wickham, if they do drop into League One, will probably have one of the better budgets, ironically, in that division. Um, that's a completely different skill for a manager, isn't it, to, to deal with that? Yeah, yeah, because with money comes responsibility. With responsibility comes expectation. Um, this is why stability is really important, I think, at that level. You know, again, I go back to Accrington. Johnny Coleman's been there for 18 years, 19 years, something like that. Uh, Andy Holt says he'll never sack him. He's he is he's a bit of a market trader in the in the transfer market. You know he's got some kids from Chelsea, a lad called uh, Terry uh, Uakwe, and Chelsea basically said yes, you can have him, but you got to pay him fifteen hundred pounds a week. And he said no, 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 I'll pay him four hundred. And uh, they swallowed it because they know that if they can make it at Accrington. You know, which is a pretty gnarly football club. It can get a bit, bit cold up there. <laughs> um, and 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 Johnny and his staff don't suffer fools at all. Uh, that's a great development path. Um, so, you know, I think with some, <clears throat> and also it, it is going to be interesting to see how all the, you know, all the the macro politics influence the transfer market. I think there'll be a. You know, I think there'll be a lot of players let go this summer. So I think, you know, if Wickham have got decent recruitment, they've got a decent chance to pick up players because it's, it's an attractive part of the world, isn't it? Um, and also, yeah, there's stability there, I think. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, you might replay this in sort of September and it's, it's carnage, you're at the bottom of the league and, you know, the whole thing's blown up. But um, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think that'll happen. And um, uh, it is interesting. Football, managers get associated with football clubs. There is, a, there is a theory, which actually, to be honest, I do subscribe to, is that you can stay somewhere too long. I always think there's a sort of three to four year cycle, really, that you can um, manage to essentially engage your your players um you know because eventually they stop you know they they hear your voice so often they stop listening to it and i think that's that that's to gaz's great credit that he's able to i suppose he regenerates the squad quite regularly doesn't he so there are newer people around all the time but um yeah i think that will be um I think you've almost got to you've almost got to ignore what's in your bank balance and try and do. You know, I think Accrington's budget is something like it's about one and a half mil, something like that. It's, it's one point eight or something. It's not a lot of money for a season when you think about it. Um, so if Wickham had say I don't know invested money in the sta- stadium and you know so he had a playing budget of I don't know two and a half three million, you could get yourself a decent team with that. Well, exciting times for Wickham Wanderers. Uh, either way, I mean, it's been a great season of the Championship. It's not over yet, as we as we sit and talk. Uh, it could well be by the time this goes out. We shall have to see. Um, but Wickham in League One is by no means a disaster in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Mike, it's been great to speak to you, and uh, and I really hope the book goes well. Whose game is it anywhere? I mean, I'm guessing it's out Amazon. Uh, bookshops are open again, aren't they? So people could go and buy are. it. All bookshops are open. Um, support 
having said support your local club support your local bookshop as well but yeah it's on amazon waterstones anywhere and everywhere please go and buy it and also i mean there's your back catalogue if people aren't aware of your work i mean no hunger in paradise wickham living on the volcano and wickham features in quite a lot of your books don't they yeah they do yeah as, as you said you know uh, gaz was in um living on the volcano which was the manager book that i did um you know obviously i've been back uh, ever since um uh you know featured in um uh the nowhere men the book on scouts um so yeah yeah the club has been uh, fairly constant in uh in some of the stuff that i've done well i hope to see you in a, in a press box uh, soon and i hope it's not a game where wickham are fighting relegation i hope they're at the other end of the table <laughs> okay thanks very much Many thanks to Mike Calvin for his time this week and also to Adebayowak in Fenwa and you guys as well for listening in. We'll be back next week with more news of Wickham wins, hopefully, as they stave off relegation from the Championship. It could happen. Keep the faith and come on, you Blues.